At the tone, please record your message. Hi, Flora. I have a factual emergency. So we're watching a lot of reality TV because that's all we do. And there's a sound that comes up on every single show. My boyfriend thinks it's like the verbal like sound of like, oh, shit, but in like a squeaky, loud siren noise. We'll play it for you. One second. Caitlin, thank you for your question. Describe the sound you called about. It's just, it sounds like knives getting sharpened in some sort of like workshop. It's like a... Is that it? Yep. <laughs> is that the sound in question? It is the sound. The sound. Yes. And there's a lot of different, like, subtleties to it, too. It's like, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's short. But then there's the whole side of, like, what does it feel like? <laughs> and it feels like someone just said something really cringy, and you're making that, like, emoji, like, <laughs> face. How are you doing this? How much reality TV do you consume on a regular basis? Um, on a weeknight, probably at least one hour a night watching reality TV. What shows? My favorite ones are The Challenge, 90 Day Fiance, Big Brother, uh, The Bachelor slash Bachelorette. And I've been watching reality TV since I was like a kid. You know, when you're serious about it, you got to put in the time. Yeah. Spent uh, about two decades of reality TV experience. I'll put that on my LinkedIn. Okay, Caitlin. You could have called about any facet of reality television. Why was this sound your burning question? What's weird about this particular sound effect is that it's not just like a single like series or like a single network. I'd like them to taste that. It goes across all shows. I'm not worried about whatever yeah, you should say, dude. Worried. Nobody over here is scared of you. All right, Jay. Let's move on unless anybody has anything unknown Regardless of what kind of reality show it is, if it's a competition, if it's a dating show. I'm not trying to be rude, but it's been 30 minutes. I, I'm sorry, ma'am. Let's get to these tables. Come on. Why does that sound become adopted across all reality shows as meaning the same exact thing? How did this particular sound effect come to reign supreme? Yeah. What is its origin story, really? Who gifted slash inflicted this sound on us? Well... I am partially responsible because I was one of the first guys to actually start using them in reality TV. This is Rick Livingstone, and he had a hand in getting this sound into living rooms everywhere. Oh. He's a reality TV sound editor. He's been doing it for the last 20 years. He's worked on all the big shows you know and love, The Apprentice, Hell's Kitchen, Kitchen Nightmares. He's done sound for over five thousand episodes of reality television. So he is the expert on reality TV sound effects is what you're saying. Absolutely. I use a lot of bass drums because they give you a, a, a bang hit. Uh, bells, you know, sometimes, oh, I just had a great idea. Bing. We use bongos too, sometimes for something funny. Gong. When do you break out the gong? Um... That's a big effect. So like a gong will be used if something really major is happening in a scene. Like, wow, you know, I've known you these last three weeks on the island, and I really have come to hate you. Gong. Okay, back to the sound effect you called about. 
That story begins 18 years ago. Right at the birth. Real TV's real birth. Yeah, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> Rick was just starting out, and he got his first gig on the first season of a new reality show. And it was a little program that I think you've heard of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this rings a bell. Could you translate for those of us who don't have a degree in reality TV studies? <laughs> we know it's Survivor. So Rick was working as the music editor on this very first season of Survivor. That's amazing. And the executive producer asked him and the composers on the team to put together a bunch of sound effects. Because reality TV by itself, without enhancements, is just not enough to capture an audience's attention. You need to sort of direct their emotions to certain things. The sound creates the drama. Right. So Rick was listening to bells and chimes and drum rolls to add to the sound library for the show, and one special sound caught his ear. So I thought, oh, this is unique. Wow, kind of cool. And I believe that almost all of the editors that were involved in these early shows thought about it in the same fashion, where they said, wow, that's an unusual sound. Let's try that. Yeah. I bet, I mean, like all other weird sound effects tend to be like, they're real instruments for the most part. And then this one is just like a very artificial noise and that it's not a real instrument. It is an instrument. What? Technically, it's called a bowed cymbal. You take a violin bow and scrape it across the edge of the cymbal, causing it to resonate in the sound that you heard. And when Rick heard it, Rick thought this sound captured a reality TV essential. Tension, which is the mainstay of all reality TV. I mean, no matter what kind of show you have in reality TV, you want to develop tension. You want to put people on edge because apparently that's how you keep them watching. So the sound gets used on the first season of Survivor. Mm -hmm. And then Survivor became Survivor. Nobody thought Survivor was going to be as big as it was, but it just so happened it had a finale of uh, almost 40 million viewers. And what was done in Survivor, including the use of these uh, uh, symbols, these bowed symbols to, uh, to develop tension within scenes, was now being copycatted by everybody that wanted to become part of the reality TV business. And that was hundreds and hundreds of shows. I mean, they looked at, at Survivor as a template. It's amazing that it stuck around for that long. Like, the bode symbol sound effect is older than my cat. Yeah, we asked Rick how he felt about this, his contribution to TV history. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about your legacy? Oh, well, it didn't take me long to hate that sound. <laughs> Every time I turn on the TV, I hear that same sound, and it's kind of like now nails on a blackboard. <laughs> but now we can't escape it, probably. Now you hear it everywhere, It's and, and you know, I'm... I try not to use it. I mean, as a matter of fact, I don't use it anymore. Rick, this is like a, a father forsaking a child. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, a child that's come back to bite you, perhaps. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rick, do you want to take this moment to apologize to the country? <laughs> uh, apologize to the country. Um <clears throat> Wow. 
Yeah, okay. I'll take a, a I'll take a partial responsibility for its proliferation, and I apologize to the rest of the universe for its uh, for its ever growing use. But I don't think he has really anything to apologize for. He's just, you know, he just really tapped into like the human emotion. Yeah, I I mean, I think he was doing his job well. <laughs> what would we do? How would we know there's a tense moment? A, a gong. <laughs> the go- yeah, we can do a gong. It would maybe a little more ridiculous, but. Is it really more ridiculous? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to push back on that one. <laughs> After the break, a backyard horror story. I heard the most blood-curdling scream. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, Flora. This is Stephanie from Iowa, and I'm calling because I heard the most blood-curdling scream today, and it came from a cicada. Hello? Hey, Stephanie. Hi. You sounded a little distraught in your message. Yeah, it was a pretty upsetting event. You want to walk me through it? Yeah, I was laying nicely in my hammock in the backyard. The kids were playing, running around, and the cicadas were singing their cicada song. And all of a sudden, there is this insect scream. It was just uh, horrendous. Will you make the noise for me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I could. <laughs> Okay, let me uh let me pull up a YouTube video here. It's titled Cicada Screaming. Is that in the ballpark? What I remember was that it was even worse. Just like the cicada was dying. Did you get a look at the culprit? Oh, it was it was a cicada killer wasp dragging the poor cicada down into its little hidey hole in my yard. What do these wasps look like? They're, they're just black and yellowish striped, and they're huge. Like if my thumb was flying through the air and had a stinger. What, how would you characterize your relationship with them? They terrorize me, I think, intentionally. Wow, it's personal. Well, when I was, I don't know, early 20s, I was out at my house, um, my mom's house, washing my car in the driveway, and one flew at me and dropped a paralyzed cicada at my feet, like it was saying, you're next. It's like the dead horse head in your bed kind of thing. That's the message I got. Okay, here's what I feel like I need to know in order for us to help you. Are you concerned for the cicadas, or are you concerned for you? Um, I mean, primarily myself. Cicada killer wasps are just, all of my fears come to life. Do you think effect intervention would help? Possibly. So because you mentioned in your message that this was a factual emergency, we have upped this ELT intervention to concierge level. Oh. We have cicada killer expert Chuck Holiday on the line. He has been listening in this whole time, and he is here and ready to help. 
Hello, madame. For you, I will be the concierge. <laughs> Hi, Chuck. <laughs> How are you, Stephanie? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Chuck, as a cicada killer biologist, do you think it's plausible that the cicada killer was sending Stephanie a message like a severed horse head when it dropped no, it at her feet? No. no, the one that dropped the cicada in front of you was exhausted. When these cicada killers take a cicada, what they're carrying weighs two, sometimes three times what they do. So, you know, if you could imagine a grizzly bear dragging a full-size male moose, oh, three miles to put it in a hole in the ground, that's what this wasp does every day before breakfast. What are the wasps using the cicadas for? <laughs> for their young. They use them as a bassinet with food installed. Okay, so once they're mated, they find a good place and they dig a burrow. Okay, then we know they go cicada shopping from Stephanie's eyewitness testimony. And then they put them down in the chamber. Into the burrow, okay. They're paralyzed. They've stung their nervous system and they can't move. And then the grub hatches and eats it in a few days. They paralyze the cicada, drag it down to their hidey hole, lay an egg on top of it, and the baby eats the cicada alive. You've got it. And that's why it's in so important that the cicada can't move, because if it could move and twitch, it would crush the egg or the, uh, the small grub. So it has to be absolutely still, and it is. None of that was comforting. Chuck, so far this, um, this information I don't think is moving the needle in the right direction for Stephanie's fear. Is there anything else you can tell us? Like, I read that they don't sting that often. Okay, well, the male stinger is modified to be uh, a penis. <laughs> and it can't sting, although it fakes it. It will actually act as if it's stinging, but nothing will stick into you. It's too blunt. <laughs> so I won't be stung, but I'll be sexually assaulted by a bee. There you go. <laughs> this is not helping. <laughs> the other half, the females, they just don't sting unless you hold them down. Uh, if one's crawling up your leg and you don't know it and you have shorts on and it's trying to get up to the top of you with a cicada, this happens. It crawls under the shorts. It'll get pinched and it'll sting. Now I feel like I need to wear pants with rubber bands at those legs. Well, that would work. <laughs> this intervention is going terrible. Okay, well, let, let me do one more thing then. And this, this addresses one thing, Stephanie, that you mentioned, that you're, you're worried about them plotting an attack. They're much more like little robots than thinking things. So they may not have the brain power to leave a severed horse head at Stephanie's feet. No, no. They aren't capable of much flexibility in the way they interact with things. It's actually kind of comforting to know that they are not good thinkers, that they're not very smart, because that means they actually aren't plotting against me. Stephanie, I think we've gotten to the moment in, in the intervention where... You have to face your fear head on and and touch one. No way. How about just a quick visit to the hidey hole in your yard? All right. I'm in the back. This is where I've seen the most this year. I am going to poke around where it's is at. So I'm moving the grass around with my foot. I wouldn't have done this earlier this year, I guess. 
So this has improved. Progress. But I'm ready to run. (laughs) If you have a burning question that we can help you with, give us a ring. 833-RING-ELT. This episode was produced by Aaron Reese, Phoebe Flanagan, Kristen Clark, Annette Heist, and Flora Lickman, with help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. It was edited by Ian Chillog and Caitlin Kenny, mixed by Dara Hirsch and Enoch Kim. Every Little Thing is a Spotify original podcast. Bees do not sting me. Goodbye.